0: up with me to Romans chapter 8. And you may know our theme verse this morning is found there in Romans chapter 8. More than conquerors. And here we are in this wonderful setting. We just got done with some amazing worship. You have a very talented worship team here. It was great to be led in worship by them. And then you get Pastor Ray to come up and say, Hey, are we more than conquerors? And we all have a resounding amen. amen. But I wonder if we weren't in the church setting, or if we followed us around through the week, if sometimes we feel less than conquerors. If sometimes we feel a little bit defeated. Well, that feeling is not too foreign And because although in verse 37, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors, he just got done in verse 36 saying, we're being slaughtered. It's easy to feel in life, like sometimes, hey, I don't feel victorious. I don't feel like I'm winning. I actually feel like I'm losing. And I'm losing really badly. I'm being slaughtered. Well, right here in verse 37, it's a, it's a thought within a thought. A thought that began pretty much in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He begins with a number of rhetorical questions there. Affirming the support we have from God. The confidence that we should have being in Christ. Now there's something very special about verse 37. This entire book is very rich. It's an amazing book, the book of Romans. If you haven't gone through it on your own, I suggest you do. There's so much you can learn from it and be encouraged from in your faith by it. There's something very unique in verse 37 as well. What we have in English when it says more than conquers." That word being translated with three English words is just one word in the Greek. And it's a compound word. I don't get up here to try and impress you with my Greek understanding. I don't know Greek. I just know how to use Bible programs on computers. So it's not me coming up here trying to be impressive to you. But it's important that this is the very only time that this word is used in the entire New Testament. That word we have that compound word it's Hooper Nikeo it's abounding in victory the one time and the only time it's used here in the New Testament. That word victory, Nikeo, is used multiple times. It's used a lot in the book of Revelation. It's where we would get the word overcome. We've overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. We are victorious. But here the Apostle Paul is saying, man, we are we are what we would get the word hyper from. Hooper, we get it in English, it's hyper and that's where we get words like hypercritical. We get hyper Pentecostal. You have some kids; they may be hyperactive, but it's something that hey, it's just you're active. But this kid is over and above above being active. He's hyperactive, and that's what Paul is saying here. We aren't just conquerors; we're more than conquerors. We're not just winning. We're slaughtering the other team. Well, Paul has just said, but we're being slaughtered. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background on the Apostle Paul's life and and some of the things that he had to live through and how difficult his life was and where sometimes at, at times he felt like a fool, he felt like a spectacle he says that in first Corinthians chapter 4 verse 10 through 13 for I think that God has displayed us the Apostles last as men condemned to death we have been made a spectacle to the world both to angels and to men we are fools for Christ's sake we are weak we are dishonored to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed. We are poorly clothed. You know, sometimes people make a big deal about how we dress in church. Maybe as a pastor, you should dress a certain way, and you should wear a suit or something. The Apostle Paul here says, We're poorly clothed, we're beaten, we're homeless, we labor. We work with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Again, in the second letter, in case the Corinthians didn't get it the first time, man, we're messed up. And we're going through some serious trials. In case the Corinthians didn't hear it the first time, Paul gives another portion of scripture and he dedicates another portion of scripture to that in his second letter in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through 28 he says are they ministers of Christ I am more in labors more abundant whipped more than be than can be counted in prisons more frequently in deaths often from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one three times I was beaten with with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I have been in the deep in journeys often in perils of water in perils of robbers in perils of my own countrymen in perils of the Gentiles in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. What Paul is describing is someone who is being slaughtered. So what is Paul doing in Romans chapter 8, verse 37? Is it like one of those post-game pep talks? When your team just got blown out, when your team just got killed out on the field and the coach has to come along and say, guys, it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says. We're all winners. Well, you know, that's a lie. You know, we're, we, we just went out there and we just got killed. So do you think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here? Well, Paul is keeping other things in mind. And I want to bring out the three other things And there's multiple things You get in Romans chapter 8 And you can bring out 10-15 reasons why We could consider ourselves more than conquerors But not everybody's doing great today Not everybody has a just a wonderfully blessed life Not everybody's getting all the things they want Or all the things they feel like they deserve Not all of your marriages are going the way you think they should go There's a lot of reasons why you could feel very discouraged this morning. And you could feel like, man, I don't know if I feel all that blessed. And I can put up a front and a facade and come in here in church and say, yeah, I'm a conqueror. But at home, I feel like a real loser. I feel like I have no relationship with my kids I'm this close to getting fired at work. I still have a problem with the drinking. I still have a problem with drugs. I still have a lot of issues. So I could come in church, hear that great worship, and be lifted up and feel like, oh, everything's great. But you know what? When I walk out of those doors and get back in my car, I know I'm going back to that same difficult life that I'm living. So how is it that you can say that I'm really a conqueror? Well, the Apostle Paul, he's going to give us... Three, or we're going to take three reasons this morning. Number one, because of His glorious future. Always keep your ultimate destiny in mind. Always keep your future in mind. You know what? Everyone's going to die. And people who are in Christ have a glorious future ahead of them. If you are not in Christ, then your future is an eternal separation from God. And you will spend all eternity in hell. And you will be tormented. But if you are in Christ, you have a glorious future ahead of you. And that should always be in the forefront of our mind. Churches should always remind people and point people back to heavenly things. Because that's what really matters in this life. Keeping our minds on the things above. He says in verse 18, i going back to verse 18 there a little bit in Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We talk about those old-fashioned scales and those ones with the chains that hang down and the, the two bases there and you put different things on it. Paul says, I could put all the things I just mentioned, I could put all the the stonings, I could put all the beatings, I could put all the shipwrecks I've been in, I could put all these different things that I faced, I could put them all on one side of the scale. And yet when I put the glory of heaven on the other side, those things don't even budge It, it doesn't even cause it to go down a little bit. The weight of glory that I'm going to receive then those things that I'm facing in life, they don't even matter. Because I know one day there's going to be a glorious payday. Anything and everything I'm looking for, I'm going to receive in that glorious place with my Savior. He says in the second part of verse 23, we are ourselves grown, in the middle part, we ourselves grown eagerly waiting For the adoption, the redemption of our body. We are going to suffer persecution. We are going to go through difficulties in life. We're going to have disappointments and setbacks and different things that are going to happen to us that are going to discourage us. But it's always been from the time of the apostles even till now. It's always been very important that we keep our eyes on heavenly things. Jesus said... To Pilate, John eighteen thirty six, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. In John seventeen, his final prayer there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, "I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world." Just as I am not of this world. Verse 16 of John 17. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In John 14, Jesus knew what was ahead. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. Jesus knew that his disciples were going to be very discouraged. They were going to be feeling like everything was lost. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all their desires, all their plans, all their expectations, those things, they were going to feel like they were gone. And what was Jesus' encouragement for them? It was heaven. He said in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Peter, obviously one of Jesus' first apostles, that was something that he learned, that there's something that's waiting for him. There's something that's been reserved for him. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven. We talked about that eager waiting. We mentioned it in Romans 8.23. I'll read it to you again. We ourselves groan within ourselves. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Do you have that eagerness? Are you eagerly looking forward to heaven? Are you eagerly looking forward to being with your Lord and Savior? Does it even compare with how eager you are to eat lunch? How eager you are to find out what they're cooking out there? You know, these worldly desires that we have, these hopes and these dreams and these things that we look forward to and we believe one day that we're going to get there but do we feel that same anticipation and expectation towards heaven that we say you know what i'm longing to be with the lord i'm longing to receive that glorified body paul says we're being beat down but i know there's something glorious waiting for me he also told those corinthians in first corinthians chapter 15 Verses 42 through 43 the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Colossians 3, verse 2 through 4 encourages them and us set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So Paul mentions all the different things that he went through. He mentioned the trials. He mentions the tribulation. He mentions the fact that he feels like, as apostles, as followers of Jesus Christ, they're being slaughtered. They're being beaten down. But He knows there's something better awaiting Him. He knows that something is being prepared for Him, just like Jesus told those apostles. So when you get down, when you feel discouraged, when you feel a little bit beat up, you get your mind off of those things, you get your mind off of those circumstances that you're in, and you get your mind up in the heavenlies. As good as you feel during worship. Why do you feel good in worship? I'm not claiming that any of you guys were lying. When Pastor Ray got up and say, are we more than conquerors? You said, yes. My my claim is not that you weren't being truthful. The reason you feel like that is because you were just in a state of worship. Your mind and your heart was completely being given over to the Lord. You were totally focused on God and Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for you. You were reminded About the salvation that you have in Christ. You were reminded about the sacrifice that was paid for you. So you come in church and generally you feel better. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 73. His feet had nearly slipped. He was all messed up. His mind, he started hating people because of all their prosperity and all the good things that were going on in their life. And yet he's trying to live a righteous life and he feels like, where's my blessings? Where's my prosperity? Where's my success? Where's all the good things that I was expecting as a result of serving God? And he feels like, you know what? I'm done with this. These guys prosper and they're wicked. I'm done with this. But something very important happens in Psalm 73. Until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. Until he came and he got his perspective back. But we need to have that perspective all the time. We need to continually keep our minds on the spiritual things, not on these worldly things. So Paul can say, we may be slaughtered, but we're more than conquerors. There, there's a, a, an incorruptible inheritance awaiting for us, and it's reserved for us in heaven. The second reason... And it's right directly to what he's about to say there or, or to his declaration. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But what does he ask in verse 35? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. And I might even add something there that's a little bit further, uh, a little bit more previous to what we're reading here. But even his own wretchedness, and even his own sinfulness, if indeed he was describing his own struggle in his own life in the latter part of Romans chapter 7, and he felt like, man, I'm just a wretch, Oh, wretched man that I am. It's no wonder that my wife left me. I'm miserable. Who would want to stay with me? You know, it's no wonder my kids don't want to have a relationship with me anymore. Look at the pain I've put them through. Look at the difficulties that I've caused in their life. And we can feel that separation from people. But Paul is here saying, none of these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, my own failures, my own shortcomings, peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because Paul is persuaded. Paul is convinced Paul is so certain that nothing can separate him from the love of God. Why are we more than conquerors? Because of God's agape, unconditional, undying love. Because no matter what happens in life, God will never stop loving you. No matter who distances themselves from you, no matter what you are going through in life, no matter what you're feeling, Things come into your life. You read the book of Job. We're doing that on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night at our church. And Job was a righteous and an upright man. God bragged on Job. But when those difficulties came into his life, he felt like God was his enemy. God was against him. God was the one that was actually beating him up and beating him down. Maybe we go through difficulties that make us doubt or question The love that God has for us. But Paul says, I am persuaded. I am convinced. I'm stubbornly convinced of the fact that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us. From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Did Peter doubt God's love for him? Maybe when he denied him. I'm sure at one time Peter was wondering, You know, how is, gonna, how is Jesus going to treat me now? You know, am I going to be now, I was once in the forefront of the apostles, am I going to kind of be pushed back now to number 12 on the list? You know, even below Judas here. You know, how, how far did my status fall? How far away from God am I now? But we see that wonderful, that beautiful scene on that beach there where Jesus came and He recommissioned Him. He reconfirmed His love for Him. If anything, he wanted to know, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And obviously Jesus knew the answer to that. But just checking Peter's heart there and Peter affirming, Lord, you know, you know, I love you. And Peter, he had to know Jesus loved him. When Jesus said, go and feed my sheep, you know what, Peter, you haven't blown it so much that I I won't use you again. As a matter of fact, Peter, I know this is hard for you to understand right now. You're more usable. You're more usable now because of that failure. You're more humble. You're less dependent upon yourself and your own strengths and your own accomplishments and and your own toughness. You're just where I need you to be, Peter. And God wasn't through with him. God wasn't done with him. Peter experienced the love of God. Paul, the same thing. Paul was forgiven much, and he was forgiven much, loves much, understands also the love of him who's forgiven him. They say, what was it that convinced Paul of this great love? I think it was just that, the fact that he was forgiven. He explains in 1 Corinthians 15 through 9 through 10, no, Peter's not the least, I'm the least. I'm the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God I am what I am and His grace toward me was not in vain. Paul quoting David in the psalmist in Romans 4, 7-8 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. But well, we get all throughout this book that we are not having our sin imputed to us. We're having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. God's love covers a multitude of our sins. So when we feel for whatever reason, we're doubting God's love for us. Paul says, if there's one thing that I'm convinced of, if there's one thing I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, if there's one thing that I have no doubt about whatsoever, there's no doubt about God's love for me. God loves me and nothing can separate me from that love. Paul says in Romans 5, 6-8, through 8, For when we were still without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was a demonstration of God's love for you. And God's love hasn't changed. You were a sinner When Christ died, and I know you're saying I wasn't even born, but you're a sinner when Christ died. You're a sinner now, and His love isn't going to change for you. And that's what gave Paul this incredible feeling that I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious because there's nothing that life, there's nothing that the devil, there's nothing that my own sinful self can do to separate me from that love. That God has for me. And even though everyone else may walk out on me, everyone else might walk out on me, but God would never walk out on me. I want to read something to you. It's a little bit lengthy, but I hope you can stay tuned to it. It says, The desire of all these hardships and trials to separate us from the love of Christ. Shall they? Can they? by no means all this will not cut the bond of love and friendship that is between Christ and true believers Christ does not will not love us less for all this all these trouble are neither a result nor an evidence of the decrease of his love when Paul was whipped beaten imprisoned, prison and stones did Christ love him any less, were his favors suspended, his smile toward him no more, his visits less frequent, by no means, but the contrary, these things separate us from the love of others, from the love of other friends, from the love of family members, when Paul was brought before Nero, all men forsook him, but the Lord stood by him. Whatever persecuting enemies may rob of us, rob us of they cannot rob us of the love of Christ. They cannot intercept his love tokens. They cannot interrupt nor exclude his visits, and therefore let them do their worst, but they shall not make a true believer miserable. A true Christian loves Christ no less though he suffer for him. Thinks never the worse of Christ, though he lose all for him. Christ loves us no matter what. God loves you no matter what state you're in. Where people could say, I don't really want to have anything to do with that guy anymore. That's not a phrase or a saying that's going to come out of the mouth of God. He's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. It's a beautiful thing that we have in Christ. Where he... Brings back the broken. The bruised reed he will not break. The smoking flax he will not quench. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's going to continue to try and try. You know, that that kid in Little League that keeps striking out. And all the coaches say, I don't don't want him on my team, man. You know, you you take him. Please take him. I've even tried to coach that kid. There's no hope for that kid. That's not our... Savior, That's not our Father. He's going to continue to work with us and work with us and work with us over and over and over again. He, he has promised that He has begun a good work in you. He is going to complete that work in you, no matter how long it takes. He is going to conform you to the image of His Son. So Paul says, I'm more than a conqueror because nothing can separate me from the love of God. Number three, the reason he would declare that God was, that he was more than a conqueror was because in verse 31 and 32, God was for him. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is always cheering us on, if you will. He's not just putting up with us. He's not just keeping you on the team because He has to. You know, he wants you to succeed. He wants you to do great things in His name. He says, God is so for you. Do you recognize how for you God is? He said, God is so for us that He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? I really believe in addition to everything else that's been said this morning, everything that I believe was prompted by God and by His Holy Spirit, I believe there was some extra prompting in this right here. There was something extra because... I don't know if it's some of us, most of us, or all of us. We can all feel like we're lacking something. We can all feel like our lives would be a little bit better if we just had this. Our ministries would be a little bit better if we just had this. If I wasn't single and I was married, my life would be a little bit more full. If, I, if we had kids our life would be more full, whatever it might be. If I had a better car, maybe my life would be more full. But what I thought was very important for us to be reminded or taught this morning is you have every single thing God wants you to have or not to have. He he is not holding anything that you need back from you. As much as I might want to say, and I'm really learning this in the church, and I'm really learning this in the ministry. If only we had a stronger youth pastor. If only we had a better worship team. If only we had this. If only we had that. You know what? God is giving you exactly what you need to do his work, you have everything you need we should not feel a lack whatsoever he's not going to hold out on you he he gave his very his very best for you already in his son and he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us? all things. Then why am I longing for this? I don't know. Why are you longing for it? Why don't you find contentment? Why don't you allow God to bring it in His timing? Anybody could feel like they're lacking. A couple guys came to my mind. One was Gideon. You know, we, we, we had an army of 32,300 men. And now that army is gone, what are we going to do now? You have ample supply of what you need. You have more than enough. You have everything you need to win that battle. You have everything you need to win that battle. Everything Gideon could have easily said, but man, if we we you let that guy go. That guy was so talented. That guy was so strong. That guy was so encouraging. I mean, knowing a little bit of God, I mean, did he leave like the most scrawniest guys? I mean, were those the 300? I mean, the most scrawniest, the least, the least skilled in battle? I mean, were they just like, I wonder if Gideon looked out at those 300 and said, man, not only did he take all the, not only did he take 32,000, but he left me all the, all the little rejects. You know, but Gideon, as we all know, he he had enough. He had plenty. David is the other guy that comes to mind. People saw David's willingness to go out and face Goliath, and they said, "You you need help. You need my you need my armor. You need a sword. You need a shield. You need more." There's no way you can go out and defeat that giant. Did David ever feel, you know what, yeah, maybe I can't go out and do that. Maybe I don't have enough. Maybe I am lacking something. You know, maybe I need to be a little bit older. Maybe I need to have served in the army with my brothers. All I've been out is with the sheep. I mean... And how, how am I prepared to go out and face this giant having only tended sheep? But David knew, you know what? First of all, I have God. I have God. And if I have God, that's more than enough. But then God has equipped me. You know what? He's given me this little slingshot, giving me five stones. Man, I got God, a slingshot, and five stones. Let's go to battle. And whatever one thing I've learned about God, you know what? He knows us. He knows you. I, whatever I say this morning, is, this is in particular. Please don't take it as feel sorry for me or anything like that. You know, the one thing I, I would say I'm a real, I, I'm. It's a little embarrassing to say, man. Is I have I'm I get all the hand me downs. You know, I get all the hand-me-downs. Me and my wife—we we've been—we just celebrated twenty years of marriage. We've never bought a bed. I mean, that, thats kind of weird, isn't it? We've never bought brand new, cut the, cut the plastic off, brand new. Have the delivery truck pull to your yard and bring you brand new mattress. We've never had a bed. We've always received. Uh, someone else's old mattress. Hey, we're getting a new mattresses. You want our old mattress? Yeah, sure. You know, I have a gra- I have a gracious heavenly Father, but I also have a gracious earthly Father, and I get all of his hand me downs. Uh, every- I haven't bought a TV. I, I don't even. I honestly don't remember the last time I bought a TV. My dad will come around and say, Oh, you know what? I'm getting a new TV. You want my new? You want my old TV? Sure, give us our old TV. Some people, they see me rolling up in a different car. We got four cars. And they see me rolling up in a different car. Wow, man, where do you get all the cars from? You know what? I don't have a car. That, that every car I own is older than 10 years old. Not one is before the year 2003. And again, they're all... Hand me downs. My dad just doesn't want to like uh, hurt my pride or something, so he sells them to me. Like he's selling me a car for like thousand dollars, just so I could feel good about myself. You know, he doesn't want to embarrass me, so it's like, here's this eight thousand dollar car. Just you know, what what do you want for it? Oh, I don't know, like fair market value. Give me a <laughs> thousand. That's real fair market, man. I want to go to your car lot but but in all that and this is not to brag me my family my five members of our family we just went on a, a week and a half east coast trip we toured Washington DC New Jersey New York Philadelphia got to take a picture with Rocky I I ran up the ran up the steps Rocky ran up I was dying afterwards you know but my point in all that is I Always had what I need. We've always made it. We found a way. You know, and God knows what we need. If He didn't spare His own son, and you feel like, God, I need something more, you know what? He knows exactly what you need. I need a spouse. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe some of the husbands in here would say, You don't need one, brother. But let let God determine what and when you need certain things. Let God decide. You know, it's so easy for the enemy to come in and make us feel like we're lacking something. Look at Eve. I mean, God didn't restrict them from anything except one thing, and yet the enemy was able to come in and say... What is it with that tree? What is it that God's keeping you from? Why is God holding out on you? And the apostle Paul right here says, you know what? God hasn't held out one bit. He didn't spare his own son. There's nothing God can't bring into my life if and when he wanted it to. And that's an important for me m- m- lesson for me as a church leader. Because I could easily feel, we need this. We have to go out and get it. I'm going to go put it out on the web and say, we need a worship leader. We need a high school pastor. We need all this stuff. And I might bring in the worst thing that's ever been brought into my church. Then I say, you know what, God, this is your church. And you said you'd build the church. And when you are ready to bring that in, you see our high school, you see this, you see that. When you're ready to bring it in, I am confident. Just like Paul was confident. You'll, you'll freely give us all things. A verse I love in Psalm 84:11: No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. I love what Jesus says when His apostles came back from going out into the ministry in Luke twenty-two thirty-five, And He said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. You know what? No. Everything we needed actually was supplied for us. We were a little scared going out. When He told us not to take anything, we were a little concerned, but... We found out that there's provision out there. Second Corinthians 11.9 And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. Paul learned. I'm learning. I hope you will learn that whatever you need, God will supply it. He is for you. He's not against you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? So we are more than conquerors. Father, we thank you for that truth that you reminded us of. That in you we have no lack. That in you we have more than enough. That you are our all in all. That you have us in the place that we're in, just where you want us to be. You have us where we are, you, you have us in the state that we're in, Lord. Even to reveal yourself to us. To show us your goodness, your faithfulness. To show us how much you care for us. That you are our provider. Just like you you showed to Abraham up on that mountain when you provided that lamb, that ram caught in the thicket. And to him you pro- you provided that sacrifice. Lord, we also thank you that you provided the sacrifice of your son. And we may be here in a room that's primarily filled with believers, but I don't want to take that for granted. You know, God loves you. God loves you. He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you so that you could be with Him for all eternity. So that no matter what your life looks like, no matter what difficulties in your life you go through you can say you know what i'm victorious i'm a winner i'm not losing the battle the battle's already been won the battle was won on the cross the enemy was defeated on calvary but if you have yet to open up your heart to jesus christ then you are not in christ And there's a couple key phrases that we didn't really touch on, but it book it bookends Romans eight. And it says, Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is therefore, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? And is Christ Jesus in you? And that's what we want to be sure of this morning. That's what we want to give you. An opportunity to receive Christ. To welcome Christ. To invite Christ into your life. Into your heart. That you too can be a conqueror. You can be victorious despite the circumstances, the trials, the setbacks, the failures... You may face in life. If you are here in need of receiving Christ or recommitting your heart to Christ, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that God would fill up in your faith anything that's lacking. Whatever it is that you're longing for. And maybe you feel that lack because you really don't have Christ. You haven't been able to experience his fullness you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness because when we hunger and thirst after righteousness we are filled so I'd love to pray for you this morning if there's anybody here who needs to receive Christ for the first time or recommit your heart to him if you give me the opportunity to do that for you anybody here this morning wanting to receive Jesus Christ or recommit your heart to Him, if you could raise your hand, I'll be able to to say a prayer for you this morning that God would do a great work in your life and God would reveal more of Himself to you. Anybody needing or wanting to do that before we finish up here today? Anybody re- needing to receive? Praise God, I see the hand there. Receive or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Anybody else, if you... Raise your hand nice and high So I could simply pray for you this morning Anybody else In addition to this one Praise God Praise the Lord Don't Don't miss out Don't miss out Jesus had to tell that woman at the well If you knew the gift of God If you knew all that God wants to give you And bless you with He's not trying to take anything away from you. He wants to give you. He who did not spare His own Son wants to freely give you all things. Anybody else that I could include in this prayer to receive or recommit your heart to Christ this morning. So Father, we do just pray for these two men that have lifted up their hearts and lifted up their hands to You, Lord God. Father, you've reached down and you've touched them and you've spoke to them this morning. Lord, we pray, Father that you would that that this is just a beginning, but that you would complete that work in them. Father, we pray for whatever it is that they're going through. I don't know right now they could be at the lowest point of their life or they can be in the highest place of their life. I really don't know. But if they don't have You, they're in the lowest point of their life. They're in need. Or if they've strayed away, if they're distant from You, again, they need You and they're coming back to You this morning, Lord. And Father, we just pray that whatever it is that they do need to make themselves stronger in You, to embolden their faith, to grow, Lord, I pray again that they would know that You are going to give them whatever they need. Whatever they're looking for, whatever they're desiring, You are going to supply that. And my God will supply all your need according to His glorious riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Father, do a work in these men. Do a work in all of us, Lord God. Continue to move us forward. Allow us to experience more of your victory, more of your power, more of your strength, and especially more of your love. The Apostle Paul prayed for that church and he prayed that they would know what is the height, what is the depth, and what is the width of the love of God. And Lord, I pray that we as men would experience more of your love. That we, like the Apostle Paul, we would be able to truly with all our hearts say, I am 100% persuaded, convinced that nothing will separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you. For your display of love to us through the cross, through your son that shed his blood for us. We thank you for this morning to come and to gather. Lord, we want to, I assume, just offer you up one more song of worship and adoration and praise. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.